Welcome back to the uh, Powell Butte Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. My name is Trey Hinkle. I'm the lead pastor here at the Powell Butte Christian Church in beautiful Central Oregon. Yeah, this is our last sermon in our Psalms series uh, entitled Good. And uh, we're going to be looking at Psalm 150, the very last psalm. But before we begin, I just wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, as we grow up, I remember many times as a kid uh, making discoveries and just changing my whole worldview, right? Uh, Like uh, discovering that mom and dad actually have lives outside of my own life, even a romantic life, which just gives me the shivers. Or uh, finding out, discovering that certain mythical creatures are indeed mythical and and not real. Um, Of course, uh, kiddos discover fairly early that boys and girls are different. It's funny living in Central Oregon where we have a lot of hunters and things like that. They always kind of laugh about how it's funny when somebody realizes where burger really comes from. You know, they thought it came from a store. Uh, Discovery is like, oh, no, no, that actually comes from an animal. I remember actually, not as a kid, but I was in my mid-20s. I'm a little embarrassed to say this, but uh, I, I used to love going to Disneyland as a kid. And one of my very favorite rides was the submarine ride. I went back in my mid-20s, and that's when I realized, wait a second, those submarines didn't really dive down deeper into the water. (laughs) And then, of course, a discovery that uh, you probably uh, learned about 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th grade, something, someplace around there, was that, especially like in math, um, the answers are in the back of the book. Yeah, yeah, there they are. I mean, all along, how, how long did I struggle in math? not realizing that they were giving me the answers in the back of the book. Now, of course, uh, they were giving us only the even number uh, answers. And uh, I I think once the teachers knew that we knew, that's when they began to assign just the odd numbers, which was a whole other level of frustration. But yeah, the, the answers were in the back of the book. Now, did you know that the Bible is like that? You know, we read of a lot of preliminary stuff. The things that you read in the Old Testament, they all point to something far into the future. They have their fulfillment towards the back of the book. If you want to know who's going to win the ultimate battle between good and evil, look at the back of the book. Not sure what's going to happen at the end of the world? Eh, Skip to the back, right? Well, the same is true in the book of Psalms. And for our series as well, although we didn't go through all 150, we are going to end at the end of the book. And when you turn to the back of the book of Psalms, you actually will see the answer. Today, we're going to go to the back of Psalms to see what that answer is. So let's go to Psalm 150. If you have your Bible, grab that. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, Psalm 150, the very last psalm in your Bible. It goes like this. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with his trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud, clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So you see the answer? 
you know, it doesn't matter which psalm you read, whether you're looking at a psalmist uh, that has uh, describing a life on the mountaintop or uh, a psalmist that is uh, deep in sorrow in a valley. Uh, it doesn't matter if the psalmist is counting his blessings or if he's asking God to crush his enemies. All of the psalms, they have an answer. They point to one thing. It's, it's what's here in the end. It's about the hallelujah. Now, a friend of mine in ministry once responded to the criticism criticism of praise choruses. You, you know, a lot of people say, I don't like praise choruses because all it is is repeating the same thing over and over and over. Why can't we sing what we used to sing from a long, long time ago where there were actually words, blah, 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 blah. Well, he, he liked to say, well, let's, uh, yeah, I, I agree. Let's go back to, um, oh, I don't know, back to the 1800s. Um, maybe even the 1700s. And, and let's look at this one song uh, that goes, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. And then continues on, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Huh. His point, well, repetition in praise courses is nothing new. Yeah, and and uh, therefore we should not look down on praise choruses, uh, like we shouldn't look down on hymns. Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Hallelujah! You know what? That's all over the Bible, by the way. If you if you don't like repetition, you're not going to like what you find in the Bible. There is this universal praise word. I mean, doesn't matter where you go. You you go to cathedrals in Italy. You go to thatched huts in Africa. You you go to windowless concrete buildings in India. You go to the open fields in Thailand. No matter where you go, no matter where believers gather together, though they will sing other words, there's this universal word of praise that continues to be repeated, not just in Scripture, but in their own songs. Hallelujah. Now, that's a Hebrew word, and yet in English, German, Kiswahili, Korean, Portuguese, doesn't matter. They all use that word. You can be in a worship service in any one of those places and not understand anything else they might be saying or singing. But once they get to that word, hallelujah, you know. You know. It's a universal praise, and it's praising a universal God. What does hallelujah mean? Well, it means praise the Lord. We read it throughout the Bible. It's a lot of here in Psalms. It's found in the Revelation. It's in the heart of believers, believers in the God who created the heavens and the earth. Hallelujah. Now, it comes from two different words. Um, Halle or hallelujah, which means to praise or to say something good about. And Yah, which is the shortened form of God's personal name. So the idea truly revolves around saying something good about God. Now, I used to think praise the Lord was kind of a corny cliche. It felt a little fakey to me uh, from time to time, from well, at least from certain people. It's like it was certain people's response to anything and everything. And yet, I'm wrong because you study God's word and you know the Bible writers use it all over the place. When you look at Psalm 150, what's the very first thing that it says? Praise the Lord, right? What's the very last thing it says? Praise the Lord. Not only here in Psalm 150, but in, in the four Psalms that lead up to Psalm 150. They begin and end, praise the Lord. 
in, in those Psalms, uh, 146, 47, 48, 49, there, it's 10 times in those Psalms. But it's in 150, it's 13 times alone. In every line of the lyric of this Psalm, there is the word praise. Now, we tend to praise things that we like, the things that we enjoy. And so if we've come to a point in our spiritual lives where we are actually enjoying our relationship with God, we enjoy watching him work, we enjoy seeing what he's doing in our life, then praise should come very easy to us. The hallelujahs should be easy. In fact, the Bible says that as a man thinketh in his heart, then the mouth speaketh, which translated means whatever's in your well is going to come up in your bucket, right? So I want to point out today that as we conclude this series on the Psalms, is that there's a framework in developing an attitude of hallelujah in our lives. Psalm 150, which we just read, the psalm at the end of the book, gives us the answer to four questions. Whom do we praise? Where do we praise? Why do we praise? And how do we praise? And that's really what today's message is all about. So let's look at those one by one. First of all, let's look at the question, whom do we praise? Well, duh, you're listening to a church's podcast. You know the answer. We praise God. We praise the Lord. The psalm says, praise the Lord. It says, praise God. It says, praise him, praise him, praise him. What is praise? Well, it's it's those attaboys. Again, it's, it's saying something good about it. And I know that people seek praise. I know that there are people who, you know, they just live for those attaboys. It's very natural for us to praise things that we want to speak well of, like theatrical performances, um, bands, musical performances, well-taught lessons. We want to praise athletes and their athletic feats. We even praise a good old-fashioned college try at something. But ultimately, for those who are worshipers of the one true God, ultimately there's just one who fully deserves exclusive praise, and that's the one who is perfect and holy, the one who made the heavens and the earth, who gave life to mankind and brought about rebirth through his own sacrifice, the God who speaks. You know, in the Ten Commandments, God tells the people not to make graven images to be used in worship, and he states very, very clearly, you shall not bow down to them because I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, some people, they they can't get over that. Because they see jealousy in terms of, especially when we're talking about humans, it's sinful. And so they don't like the idea of God being jealous. They'll they'll make apologies to try to explain why he would use such a term. I I was listening to uh, Pastor Skip Heitzig from uh, Calvary Chapel, Albuquerque, and he said, listen, if you're married, you get it. Husbands, you don't want to share your wives with anyone, right? There's a jealousy that comes over you at the... of a husband thinking about sharing his wife with another man. It's out of the question. So in that way, especially jealousy in context of relationships, good, healthy relationships, is actually a very commendable thing. And then when you remember that the bride, the church is the bride of Christ, right? Then as our bridegroom, Jesus, he deserves our absolute, total, devoted praise, exclusive praise. In Isaiah 42, 8, God said, I am the Lord and I will not give my glory to another, nor will I share my praise. God deserves it 
all. And so that's the answer to the first question. Whom do we praise? We don't praise us. We don't praise preachers. We don't praise presidents. We don't praise anybody else, especially when we're talking about the the sustaining of our lives. We praise God. Secondly, we get to the where question. Where does praise happen? Well, the psalmist mentions two places in particular here in this Psalm 150. First, he says we should praise God in his sanctuary, and then we should praise God in his mighty firmament. So let's talk about the sanctuary first. What is that? Well, for the psalmist, back in the Old Testament, it was the temple. That's where the sanctuary was. Now, for the New Testament church, you could say that it is our gathering together. Paul, the apostle, told the Ephesians that God has built us, the church, into a temple. So we, as a corporate body, are God's temple. But Paul also told us in 1 Corinthians that our own bodies are temples as well. So any way you think of it, whether it be um, the temple or the church or individual worshipers, the sanctuary is a place here on earth where God's praise occurs. But the second place that he says that it it should occur is it's in his mighty firmament. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Literally, the mighty firmament is the expanse of the heavens. So as a more complete understanding of where we should praise God, you could say praise God on earth and praise God in heaven, which is a very biblical way of saying everywhere. God created the heavens and the earth. That means he created everything. So praise God in the heavens and on the earth. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. It goes the doxology. And then it says, and praise him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly hosts. It's as if the psalmist is summoning every creature that has been created all the humans on the earth and all the angels in heaven to join together corporately in a singular anthem of praise. Which, if you think about it, that sounds kind of like what John, the apostle, envisioned when God gave him a revelation of what heaven looks like. Revelation chapter 5, starting in verse 11, it says, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. But not only the angels were there, but I also heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Man, I've been to some pretty amazing praise nights, worship events. But can you imagine this one? I mean, this has got to be the greatest praise event ever. You have angels. You have all humanity coming together in a symphony of praise. Now, by the way, this is what you're going to be doing forever. You know, I I love to hear people imagine what they're going to do in heaven. Hey, when I get to heaven, I'm going to do such and such. I'm going to talk to so-and-so. I'm going to ask such and such, whatever. But according to these uh, couple chapters in Revelation 4 and 5, when John sees heaven there in Revelation, there in the center of heaven is a throne. That's where God sits. And the central activity and praise is worship and praise of that God, not going off and... I don't know, getting cotton candy or riding merry-go-rounds or whatever. I've I've seen 
movies where they, that's how they describe heaven. No, the way that John describes heaven is that the, the, the main thing, the central thing that we are going to be doing is to be praising God. And yet that doesn't just happen at the end of our lives, at the end of the world. When you and I engage in praise right here and right now, our actions reflect, they match what's happening around God's throne right now. I've said this before, but if you don't like to worship down here, you're not going to be thrilled by going to heaven because that's what you're going to be engaged in doing forever. So where do we praise him? Ultimately, wherever we are. Wherever we are, on earth as it is in heaven. And this is why we incorporate praise into our times together each week. It's like once a week or thereabouts, we have a little get-together for some praise practice. That's essentially what Sunday mornings are about, learning uh, with other people how to hone our praise skills because, well, that's what we're going to be doing for eternity. The third question that is answered here at the book of the end of the book of Psalms is why? Why do we praise? Well, verse 2 tells us that we praise him for his mighty acts, to praise him according to his excellent greatness. So there you go. There's two really good answers as to why we should praise God. We praise him for what he does, and we praise him for who he is, no matter what he does. We praise God for what he does, for what he has created. That's where we begin, right? I remember about a month ago, Pastor Ethan, our youth guy, told our congregation about a thunderstorm that had rolled in. Now, he's got a little girl. I think she's almost three now. I think she's maybe two and a half. I don't know. Um, he didn't want her to be afraid. So and there was a lot of thunder and lightning. So he took Essie, his daughter, uh, to their front window. And he was trying to make her see that it's okay, that she doesn't have to be afraid. And so he took her to the window and says, doesn't God make great things? And as he said, Jesus, amazing. Yeah. I think that's exactly how God wants us to respond to his creation. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. So when we, in awesome wonder, consider all the worlds his hands have made, we see the stars, we hear the rolling thunder, his power throughout the universe displayed, then sings our souls, our Savior God, to him, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And we praise him for his creation, the big things he's created, the, the universe, the small things he's created, our bodies. Uh, we, we praise him. He, he's amazing at a universal level. He's amazing at a subatomic level. The intricacies in how the human body has been designed, how we function. It's like, wow, amazing. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The works of God in creation are indeed mighty. And the works of the Lord in recreation are as mighty as well. And that's what the New Testament church has to focus in on. Because the cross and the empty tomb, those declare the glory of God just like the heavens do. They declare the glory of God in their own way. They declare his forgiveness, his salvation, his renewal. So much that he has done for us, both in our physical lives and in our spiritual lives. And that should bring us to a point of hallelujah, of praise. But what about the times where his blessings aren't as, as apparent? 
Skip Heisig also told a story about a man who visited a church. The people there in the church were encouraged to lift up their hands to sing hallelujah. But there in the midst of the people, there was a lady whose body was bent and broken. She couldn't raise her crippled arms and twisted hands very high in praise at all. And it was very painful. Next to her, you could see even a pair of crutches on her legs were metal braces. And and, and so the man shot up this silent prayer, but it was a prayer almost of bitterness. And he said, Lord, why does this woman sing hallelujah? How can she praise you when she can't even lift her hands fully in praise to you? You know, oftentimes people look at the problems in life rather than the blessings. When they try to make a list of their blessings, their list kind of seems short. And when at times like that, when it doesn't seem like there are very good answers, well, this is really where faith has to come into play. This is where real, deep, true praise happens, not necessarily for what God has done, but for who he is, regardless of what he has done. The psalmist says we praise him according to his excellent greatness. That's who he is. That's who he is, regardless of what he does for us. God deserves our praise simply because he is God, an all-powerful, ever-present, all-knowing, abundantly caring God. And he's got it, no matter if it goes our way or not. He's got it. He is God. That's who he is, and he deserves our praise. You know, the the word praise actually comes from a, a word that means price. So when we praise God, we are declaring his price, his value. It doesn't matter what we're experiencing at the time. Whether or not I get something from God does not change who God is. That's why that lady at the church could raise her twisted arms slightly in praise, because she knew who God was. didn't matter what he had done for her. Now we're rounding third and we're headed home because now the last question that's to be answered here is about pra- uh, the answer about praise is, is the how. How do we praise? How is praise supposed to be expressed? Now there's a lot of great descriptive phrases that help us figure that one out here in Psalm 150. Praise him with the trumpet, the uh, lute, the uh, uh, tambourine. Uh, praise him with dancing. Some people in my congregation would love that one. Uh, with uh, orchestras, with loud cymbals. Yes, 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 you've heard that correct. The Bible did say loud. <laughs> it doesn't just endorse loud. It, it actually recommends loud. And it says clashing loud cymbals. So the first how, oddly enough, and very plainly enough, is with noise. We worship with noise. In other words, praise is supposed to be put out there, to not be silent. You know, remember that time Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. He's, he's entering into Jerusalem. He's making his triumphal entry into the city. And the people are loudly praising him. They were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, if you recall that story, the leaders of the, the, the Jewish people, they weren't thrilled with the noise. They knew that this could cause trouble with the government, the oppressive Roman government. And we couldn't have uh, people causing trouble with the government and churches, could we? I, I tease. Let's not make waves. 
Let's just keep everything quiet. Let's let's not praise too loudly because we don't want to call attention to what we were doing. We we might look weird. We might uh, get into trouble. They told Jesus, "Hey, can you make your disciples be quiet?" And how does Jesus respond? He says, "Listen, if they're quiet, even the rocks would cry out in praise." Now, this last week, I told this story to the VBS kids, and I. I said to them that I had come to the realization that Jesus was probably talking about the nature of their hearts, those who opposed him, who didn't want the people to praise him. I, I think that by saying the stones will even cry out, he, he was probably saying that even stones are softer than your hearts if you don't want to worship me. And by the way, I, I invited the kids, uh, their VBS, to engage in a sort of spiritual vandalism. I, I must be honest. I must confess. Uh, we, we met outdoors, and I had them grab some of the river rock that uh, lined some of our parking lot. And uh, I gave them a marking pen. I said, grab a rock. Here's a marking pen. And I want you to either write, or if you can't write, then just draw something on that rock that you want to praise God for. Yes, they, they were given permission to write, write on the rock. And then, then I didn't have them take them home. You know, I, I had them put the rocks back in those little islands. So now, if anybody walks through, they, they might actually see praise. These kids' praise proclaimed loudly, plainly, indelibly. Our praise should not be, unapo- sorry, it should be unapologetic. We should not be ashamed of, for example, praying at a restaurant. We shouldn't be afraid of gathering around the courthouse uh, for prayer and praise. Jesus told us that if we're ashamed of him in public, he's going to be publicly ashamed of us on the day of judgment, which does not seem like a good thing. So how do we praise him? First of all, with noise, unapologetically, with enthusiasm, with joy. You can't stay quiet when you're excited. But the second, and I love this one, the second how is with our very breath. At first, I I actually wanted to entitle this message, The Prerequisite to Praise. Now, you probably know what a prerequisite is. It's what is required before you go on to the next thing. Some people think the prerequisite to praise is that you have to be, have been given something by God, that, that he's given something to you. So now you can praise him. We've already debunked that. Some people believe that the prerequisite is being spiritually deep and an in-tune spiritually, a spiritually in-tune person. But in reality, what we see here in Psalm 150, the only prerequisite to praise is that you have breath. So let me ask this question. Do you breathe? If you do, then you should be praising. Let everything, the psalmist says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And that's me. And that's you. Do you have breath? That statement includes you. So what does it mean to praise with our breath? Well, some people have made a great argument that it means that we engage in singing. We engage in speaking and shouting, evangelizing, just telling people about what God has done for us. And and that can be done just in a conversation, but often it's done throughout the centuries, throughout the millennia, actually. It's been songs. Songs are incredibly powerful tools when it comes to praise and worship. And yet so many Christians say, well, I just don't like to sing. (laughs) 
you know, so many people mistakenly believe that the music portion of the Sunday service is what is known as praise. And there's a reason for that, because we utilize songs and music, because God loves music. God loves it when we sing. He's actually told us to sing. He loves when we speak what we're thinking and, and, and what we're feeling in our connection with him. But he, but he loves it when we actually put that to music. And so it's important that we use our breath in the way that God designed it for, not for tearing down our fellow man. You know, James says, you know, with our tongue, we, we praise God, but then we curse our fellow man. And he says, this should not be. I believe praising with our very breath means that we praise him, not just with songs or what we say, but in everything that we do, in all that we are. You see, when God created Adam, the Bible tells us that God formed him out of the dust of the ground. And then once Adam was formed, God breathed into him the breath of life and Adam became a living being. So let everything that has the breath of God breathe into them. Maybe that's what this is talking about. Let them who have life, let them who, who have the life that they have been given by God, let them bring praise with their breath to God. It's as if they are giving their breath back as a, an offering, back to the one who gave it to them in the first place. Why do we miss? Why do we miss praise? We have the answers right here. The, we see the who and the, the, the why, where and the why and the, and the how. So how is it that we miss the power of praise, the power of hallelujah? Well, there's a story. Years ago, there was a little boy who lived out in the country, found out that the circus was coming to town, and he had never been to a circus he wanted to go. He he had heard what it was going to be like, and so he asked Dad, "Can can we go?" And Dad said, "Yes, uh, I'll I'll give you money for you to go." And so he, the day came, and the little boy was given a five dollar bill. Shows you how long ago this was. Um, only five dollars to get into the circus. Well, the little boy took the five dollar bill, ran into town. As he was approaching the town, he was still on the outskirts of town. He saw something that amazed him. There was this crazy, exciting parade going on. There were circus performers walking down the road. Uh, they were making their way to the big top. There, there were animals and clowns and, and all of this. The boy was amazed. He saw the caged animals on their trailers. He saw the marching bands. He saw the jugglers and the tumblers. He saw the guy putting fire into his mouth. And, and they're all passing by. And then, and then the clowns at the end were dancing and doing tricks as the, the one main clown was passing by at the very, very end of the parade, the, the boy ran up to him and gave him the $5 bill. Surprised the clown. Then the little boy turned around and went back home. He missed the circus. See, he had never been to a circus before, so he did not know what to expect. He mistakenly thought that what he just saw, that parade, was the circus. And yet it wasn't. There was so much more for him to be able to experience if he had just followed the parade. This was merely the parade that would lead people to the circus, to the big top tent where the main event was to take place. But the little boy paid his $5, then he went home and he missed the real deal. You know, this is a great illustration about how so many people come to church, just like that little boy, 
they come, they see a parade of songs and prayers and sermons. And then they give their $5 and then they go home. Never really seeing or experiencing what the main thing is supposed to be about, which is a a life-changing encounter with God. See, that's what God intended for any of his people to experience when they were in his presence. Everything else in, 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 a, in a Sunday service is really just a parade. It's, it's good. It's a good parade. It's an exciting thing. But it should lead us to a main event. And the main event, by the way, is not a sermon. It's not. In fact, at our church, if you look at our bylaws, it says that the highest point of our service is communion. And I would say, okay, that's that's fine. Uh, a, a, a little ceremony where we take a ceremonial um, piece of bread and a ceremonial cup of juice and we are reminded of the communion that we have with God. But even that is just part of the parade that leads us into real, true communion with God where we see who he is and we live our life in praise to him. But too often we just come to church, we watch the parade, and then we leave, and we don't ever truly understand what it means to praise God. The main event is praise. Why? Well, because praise is going to touch God's heart. It's what he's desired. It's how he wants to relate to us. But praise also changes us because it allows us to live in a reality that often we we miss. The reality is, is that we were created to live outside of ourselves and to have a relationship with our creator. Praise helps us do that, helps us get outside of ourselves and helps us focus in on the reality of who God is. So who is God to you? As we conclude our Psalms series, is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? Or is he just somebody that you come into on a Sunday morning and sing about and listen to a, 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 listen to a sermon about, and then you leave and you just kind of leave him there at his house until next week? Or is he central? Is he central to your life or is he just peripheral to your life? Are you okay with just watching the parade or are you ready to see and experience what the main event really is? The end of the book tells us the answer. The end of the book tells us what we're supposed to understand. Let everything, let everything, let everything that has breath join in with what is real. And we are invited to praise the Lord, making a connection with the one who created us to have relationship with, not just with words, but with our whole lives, our very breath, as we breathe him in. All right. Next week, uh, we're going to be treated to a a sermon by our new associate pastor, Brian Hall. Um, We'll probably just record that uh, sermon um, there on Sunday, and then we'll get that back up here on our podcast. And then um, he's going to actually launch us into another mini-series this summer on the life of Abram, uh, eventually known as Abraham, the father of faith. So I'd encourage you to continue to to, uh, listen to us and um, connect 
if you're ever in our area, please let us know and swing by and tell us that you've been listening or, or drop me a line at uh, trey.pbcc at gmail.com. Or there on our website, you can also fill out just kind of a form to say, hey, I've been listening to you um, and give us some comments and, and questions and encouragements. That would be wonderful. Thank you to my team, Lisa Welly and uh, Steve Pittman, for what they do, uh, putting this podcast together, making sure that we have the equipment to do that. And I thank you uh, for once again connecting with us. God bless you. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>